0: So, over the next eight or so weeks, we're going to be talking about worship, and we're going to base the teachings kind of loosely, sometimes, and sometimes very closely on my friend Jonathan Cruz's book. So, we're not going to go through every single chapter. What we're going to be focusing on is the last, the second bit, which is um, from, so part two, the anatomy Of a worship service. So we'll spend a week looking on the call to worship, the confession of sins, the preached word, the the sacraments, um, singing as a part of worship, etc., etc. And I see the elements of worship um, because we realize that the churches that a lot of us have come from, the form of worship that that you experience here at Covenant Waterfall, maybe perhaps um, alien to you, maybe uh, strange. Okay, you're not used to it. Are we used to as having a band up on the stage? Not saying bands are wrong. Okay, but five songs or whatever it is, um, and then a, a sermon, and then um, a final song, and then and then you go home. Okay, I'm not making any judgment on that. Okay, That is what it is. But here it's obviously quite different. And so we just want to explain why that is and explain the biblical rationale for, for why we worship uh, the way we do and, in fact, see that actually this way of worship has, has been the way the church has historically worshipped. Even if we go back to the early church and the early church... Uh, based a lot of the, the format of the worship service actually on, from synagogue, um, the, the, the Jewish worship. So we'll look at all, all of this in, in due time, but this morning I'm going to focus on a uh, broader issue, and that is just saying, well, what is worship? So any anyone want to have a go at a at a definition here. What, what is worship? Not a trick question. <laughs> <should be> <laughs> Natalie, you want to cover a shot? <laughs> okay, Full? Your bodies as a living sacrifice. Yeah. But obviously it has lots of different elements to it. Um, you know, we commanded to like will and to work for God's good purpose. So that would be one element of worship, like your your life, both in conduct, thought and deed. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Yeah. So there's a sense in which worship is um, Permeates through our whole lives in the way that we live our lives for the glory of God. Absolutely, that is a valid description of worship. But you want to I add to You wanted to go? Very simply, as <laughs> to worship God. Okay. Yeah, that doesn't answer the question. Yeah, you haven't defined what worship is. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, well, um, there's a twofold definition here of worship. Paul, you touched on the first part of that, and that was what we call, um, This is obviously the Bible is our frame of reference here, so we're wanting to define worship biblically, obviously. There is a sense generally that the, the when the Bible speaks about worship, it's speaking about how we live our whole lives to the glory of God, and rightly so. You can reference Romans twelve, um, also one Corinthians ten thirty one. So, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do everything to the glory of God. Okay, but there is also a more specific way that the Bible speaks about. Worship, and this is the sense of worship that the Bible tends to spend more time on, um, and that is the worship, the gathering of God's people every Lord's day in order to praise Him through singing and prayers and hearing His, his Word read and, and, and preached. Um, and remembering his, what he has done for us and participating in the sacraments. Okay, it's this idea of what worship is, the, the gathered God, gathering of God's people every Lord's Day, that is what we call the, the special understand, the specific worship. Okay, and, and that is what um, the scripture spends most of the time on when it, when it talks about worship. And so the thing we need to, we want to understand more is in these times of specific worship, like we're going to do later this morning, well, what happens? This isn't what Jonathan the style of his book, okay, what happens when we worship. What is it all about? Is it just, is today just another day that we just happen to, to come together and 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 uh, spend time as, as Christians together and there's nothing spiritually significant about it because we actually we, we the rest of our week is also worship so it 's not a big deal if we not if we don 't participate in today okay no <laughs> there is something unique about what happens on the Lord's day, Genesis 2 says that this day has been set apart. It has been consecrated. It's, the Lord has made it holy and has designed it for worship. So there is something that happens, something special that happens on this day when Christians come together and worship the Lord Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit does something unique that he doesn't do in the rest of, of the six days. So, in terms of what happens when we worship here, coming here is not purely an intellectual exercise. This is not coming to a theology class. Well, it shouldn't be. Okay, theology class is good, but you can do that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday at Mokanyo in Pine Town. That's not church, <laughs> this is church. Is something more than just a intellectual communication of information. Okay, what it also is not, it's not entertainment. Okay, we are not here to be uh, energized by various sensual lights or style of music or the feeling that it creates in us. That also is not. What worship is about? So it's not just a purely intellectual receiving of information. Neither is it just this purely essential thing of working ourselves up into emotional state. Well, what is it then? Well, it is God meeting with us, His people. The living God really does come down and tabernacle. With us, when by his spirit, when we worship him in Christ, and that is a unique thing that doesn't happen anywhere else, it only happens with his church. And so, in a very real sense, the Lord comes down to us. We, what Hebrews 12 describes this, and um, in, in that we, the saints, we come before. We are ushered into his presence, into the heavenly Mount Zion. Okay, there's, 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 also, okay, there's a mystery in a way to it. Okay, We are in a way lifted up into the heavenlies where we come before the living God himself. And we are nourished by his word. We are strengthened by his spirit. The truths of the gospel are rooted into us and We are being sanctified and grown and convicted of our sins and um, edified and built up as God's people, being made increasingly into his image. So there's something hugely spiritually significant that happens when we gather here every Lord's Day to worship. And so it's this that we're going to explore over the next couple of weeks, looking at every element of worship um, to find out, well, how exactly is that so? So any questions so far? So online churches are... Well, I'd say that that's, a, that's an oxymoron. <laughs> it's a contradiction in terms. Yeah, you can't, it's, it's a Gnostic, actually, understanding of church that you can, the separation of body and spirit, which we're going to look at in the sermon today, um, that you don't have to be physically present in the service. No. Church, a biblical definition of the worship service is the saints come together. They gather together. They participate In the worship of god god comes down and meets you his people and even as as beneficial as listening to podcasts and sermons are online and we we put them there so people can you know receive the truth and you can go and listen to them if you want to afterwards to be reinforced listening to a podcast of a sermon is not a substitute for being at church and hearing the preached word we also see it later in the sermon there's Something unique about that that cannot be replicated through technology. The Lord by His Spirit does something very special with His covenant people every Lord's Day. Answer your question. (laughs) But I knew you knew the answer to that anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so I think the, 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 the thing we need to get into today is well is there then a correct way to worship and by implication is there an incorrect way to worship. Well Jesus talks about worship and one of the places he talks about worship is in John four twenty four and he says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So we are called to worship God in, in spirit in that as a part of our worship, the presence of God comes down to meet us. Okay? The, the Holy Spirit um, comes and applies these truths, gospel truths, these benefits of Christ to our hearts. He is really here by his spirit. Okay? So on the one hand, it's worship in spirit, but also worship in truth. And so the implication in that statement is, well, there is a true way to worship God. Now, over church history, the years of church history, there have been two broad ways in which the church has approached worship. And the first of these is what we call the normative principle of worship, and the second, the regulative principle of worship. So very briefly, I want to just unpack these these two here. So, firstly, the normative principle of worship. We define it in this way: is that God has provided general worship principles in His script, in the Word, um, which give us broad guidelines on how the church is to worship. So, it gives a lot of liberty to the church to decide how. Ever the worship service can be um, put together, except that if there are specific prohibitions regarding worship, then the church should um, listen to those. So some obvious prohibitions, which in, in this view they would, um, you know, they would not include in the worship service, would be making and, and worshiping um, of, of images. Okay, it's the second commandment, and amen to that. Okay, we. So why you're not gonna see pictures of Jesus here. Okay, even you know, when the, the Methodists put baby the doll in there at Christmas, we, we wrap it up with the blanket, okay? <laughs> it's cold. <laughs> yeah, it's cold. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no stained glass windows here with with uh, depicting the, the divine and and we commanded not to do that. Yeah. Okay? um so it, There'll be certain things where it's where clear we're not to do, and the, the, this view of worship will will agree with that, so that we, we don't sacrifice animals anymore, okay? We're going to slaughter chickens and throw blood on you, and the altar, like, it, that was the part of the Old Testament worship. Okay, that's going to happen because that's, yeah, in, in the New Covenant, the sacrificial system has been clearly um, abrogated. But it then, apart from those prohibitions, it leaves it open to, to quite a lot. So in this, um, yeah, in this understand principle of worship, well, as long as the worship service can look however you want it to look like, as long as you don't break those kind of key things that the Scripture forbids. So, um, for example, be no problem with having uh, a drama skit or. Uh, you know, people waving flags or smoke machines or, um, you know, people painting in the service to express your creative energy to the Lord. Um, uh, what else? Uh, you know, this, uh, incense and lighting candles and just to make the atmosphere very, you know, susceptible to encountering the, the presence of the divine. Okay, so it, it, it leaves a lot of space for creativity. We're going to see in a minute, creativity and worship is not always a good thing. Okay, five minutes. Let's do the regular principle in five minutes here. <laughs> okay, so the regular principle, on the other hand, now this is, okay, separate these two here. We define it as God allows us to worship Him only as He ex- has expressly commanded. And it's this principle of worship that that we follow that is associated with the Presbyterian tradition, um, the Reformed tradition, um, and the Puritans. And we look at the Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 21.1. Okay, remember the Puritans wrote the Westminster Confession. Welcome, Janneke. Come in. Your business class seat is ready for you. Okay, Westminster Confession 21. The light of nature shows that there is a God who has lordship and sovereignty over all, is good and does good unto all, and is therefore to be feared, loved, praised, called upon, trusted in, and served with all the heart, with all the soul, and with all the might. But the acceptable way of worshiping the true God is instituted by himself. And so limited by his own revealed will, that he may not be worshipped according to the imaginations and devices of men or the suggestions of Satan under any visible representation or any other way not prescribed in the Holy Scripture. So why are we to make... Why does the confession and why has the Reformed tradition made a big deal about this? Surely... Man, if you want to worship with flags, what's so wrong about that? If you want to worship with a picture of Jesus there, I mean, come on, guys. Well, the problem lies inside. Okay, as sinful human beings, our tendency is, our default setting is for false worship. Okay, Calvin, famous quote of Calvin, the human heart is an idol factory. Now, we don't have very far to, to look to see examples of what happens when you leave sinful human beings to be creative in worship. You've got the whole of the Old Testament. Okay. Let me just remind you of some examples of how worship went peachy um, when the Israelites exercised their creativity. Okay. Well, remember, basically, they fall into idolatry virtually Their whole existence in the promised land, they worship idols. Okay, but just a a key example they're coming out of Egypt, they're wandering around in the Sinai Peninsula, they come to Mount Sinai, and Moses goes up to get the law. While he's up receiving the law, Aaron is down there with all the people. And uh, remember, they've just seen God's mighty hand and outstretched arm in saving them out of Egypt. And what do they do? Well, this Exodus 32, Aaron decrees a feast to the Lord, a feast to, to Yahweh. Okay, so his intention is to worship the true God. He's to worship Yahweh. But how does he decide to worship Yahweh? Well, he collects all the, the jewelry from everyone, they melt it down, they make a golden calf, and he says. This is Yahweh who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Worship him. And so they do that. And all sorts of immorality takes place. Because that's what happens when you engage in idolatry. And how how did the Lord feel about the Israelites taking those creative liberties in worshiping him? Think, oh, these guys are exercising their God-given creativity. They made a beautiful... Uh, cough. No, <laughs> he s- struck them down in wrath. The Lord's a jealous God; he desires to be worshipped correctly, how he has revealed in the Word. Okay, and that's exactly why um, the first four commandments are all about worship. They okay, worship the true God. Don't have any other gods before God. Don't make any images that depict God. Don't blaspheme the name of God and keep the Sabbath day holy as a day in which to worship the Lord. So God cares about how he is worshipped. And it was this point that the 16th century reformers took very seriously. So you remember the context of the Reformation the, the medieval church had um, in, you know, adopted many unbiblical elements in worship over the centuries. Okay, the idea of the, the the mass was was unbiblical uh, the transubstantiation that the bread and the wine actually change into jesus um, that jesus 's body is sacrificed every time the masses is performed that Mary and, and the saints are venerated that images are used in, in the worship and there's also no congregational involvement in the worship. It was all a show. Okay, if you go to the cathed the old cathedrals in Europe today, look they're very beautiful, pleasing to the eye. That was the point. They were meant to get people to be to, through the senses to, um, you know, to to. Uh, you know, lift their eyes to the Lord, but it was through these through the gold and paintings and all that that was that that they tried to do that. Okay, so the the reformers come in and especially with, with um the Swiss reformers with Calvin and um Zwingli and, and, and these guys the main part of the Reformation was the reform of worship. Now, yes, justification by faith was the spark of it, and Luther yeah, had a—he um, yeah, focused a lot on that, and that's the foundational point of the Reformation. But the reform of worship was probably one of the more lasting and significant aspects of, of the Reformation. And so what it did, what the Reformation did in terms of the worship service is that it... Made the worship service a lot simpler and based on scripture that was the the heart of the the um, reformers um, in terms of the reform of the church was to get scripture well, get to worship back to scripture so that 's why if you go to so what happened was before and the the, the, the 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 centerpiece in the church would have been the altar where the mass would have been performed. The reformers chucked the altar out altogether and replaced it with a table, which they put to the side. The pulpit was on the side because it showed how the, the view of the how the medieval church didn't regard the preached word as as much and instead they moved the pulpit slap bang in the center. They smashed out all the stained glass windows um, and got rid of the images and they got people singing and not just singing any old songs but singing scripture singing the psalms and uh, got people out of way from that the worship service was a performance to uh, that the worship service is a um, a, a, a Engagement, God, God's people engaging with God and, and God engaging with his people. So, this, it to what we call the, the dialogical principle. Now, that seems like a strange word. Well, it's what we, we practice here every Sunday, okay? That the worship service is seen as a divine dialogue. Okay, you know what a dialogue is? What's a dialogue, Natalie? Yes. Now, in most churches, the worship service is a monologue. It's a one-way. It's a performance. Historically, Christians have worshipped in this dialogical approach where, firstly, God calls us. God speaks through the call to worship. He calls his people to worship himself. Then we're not passive to that. We respond to our God, our covenant, who has made a covenant with us. We respond to him in song. And then God speaks again through the reading of his word, through his law. And then we respond. Well, we respond in a confession of our sins. Then God speaks to us again through yeah, his, his gospel. And whatever. how do we respond? Well, we respond in thanksgiving and song. And then God speaks to us again through his preached word. And how do we respond? We respond in, in prayer and adoration to him. then God speaks to us again through the sacraments. And how do we respond? Well, in in prayer and and, and song as well. So the the whole of the worship service is this divine, this dialogue. God speaking to us, we responding as his covenant people. God speaking to us, we responding to, to his people. Any questions? Okay. Well, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to unpack more of of this, and hopefully see how um, all these things uh, benefit us, and um, and how God strengthens us by His Spirit as we worship Him. Okay, let's pray.